All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that you are here with us this morning. Powerful presence. As we begin to worship you, Lord, your, your presence is just amazing. It just fills our hearts and fills, fills our minds, Lord Jesus. Now we pray that you would just come and saturate us with the truth from the word of God, that it will permeate every aspect of our heart and of our thinking. Father, it will break off any mindsets or strongholds that, that try to hold on to us and try to cause us to stumble, Lord. We, we believe that your word is going to break some stuff here in our minds today. And we thank you for that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we are talking about the anointing and we've been doing this sort of journey, haven't we, about taking back Pentecost and what that really means. And uh, in Acts chapter 2, you know, we read the story about the power in the form of a person who is the Holy Spirit for the very first time ever, entering and coming and finding his home inside of a human heart. The most amazing display of the power of God and the entrance of God into the heart of humanity. And at the same time, clothing a human pe uh, being with the power to be like Jesus. This is what happened in Acts chapter 2. And uh, so we see from that moment onwards, the Bible tells us that everything that we need has actually been given to us by God. I'll give you a scripture in 2 Peter 1.3. You notice I'm getting straight into it today. We've got a lot to get through, guys. <laughs> the word says that the, the, the word of God is like a hammer. Well, we're using the hammer again. I think every week I use the hammer. So let's get, let's get started with that. Let's get swinging. Second, Second Peter 1 verse 3 says, Seeing that his divine nature, oh, sorry, his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them, through what? Through the great and precious promises, we may or you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So in this series on the anointing, we're on to week five right now, and we're discovering what this all really means to us, especially the aspect of being partakers of the divine nature. You know, we've learned over the last few weeks that we are the body of the anointed one. We are meant to be mature and operate from the mind of Christ, and we're gonna look a bit at that today. Um, but when the church actually drifts from the uh, responsibility of that very truth, then it becomes devastating. And that's what we're going to look at today, all right? So we're going to uh, look at the fact that we are partakers of the divine nature of God and that we actually have everything available to us. So far, what have we learned? Well, last week we learned that he wants to teach us, but are we actually listening? As individuals, we have an anointing in us. I'm just recapping really briefly now. We have an anointing in us to teach us the truth because the Bible tells us that the spirit of truth teaches us all things. Number two, we have the word, which is anointed to teach us truth. In fact, in John 6, 63, it says that the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. So the word of God is very powerful. And of course, the scripture that we just read from Second Peter, it says that he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, which is the word of God, so that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature. So there's something powerful and something anointed about the very word of God when we read it, when we, when we hear it preached, when we sit under it. And number three, how else do we learn? How else does he teach us? 
He also teaches us through anointed gifts in the form of people who have been given specifically by Jesus to govern his body and to teach us how to take the truth in the word of God and to actually live that truth. And it tells us, and we'll look at this further in the weeks ahead. Um, in Ephesians 4, you can write down 10 to 12. But basically, when Jesus ascended, it said that he gave gifts and they were in the form of people. And they were apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. And they, the whole role of these people that are given by Jesus is to equip the saints for the work of service. And so they're gifts in the form of people. And so this is also how he leads his body, his anointed body. This is how he does it from generation to generation. He makes sure that he's commissioning new people all the time. Every generation that comes along, he's commissioning, he's anointing, he's giving revelation to, he's teaching. And these become almost like the banks of the river for the church to operate in. But we're going to discuss all of that in the weeks to come. So the amazing thing is that we no longer need to go through a priest like in the Old Testament to go through the high priest to have access to God or to his truth. But we do need a firewall around us. It's like a safety net. We need the anointing in us to teach us, to give us that truth, to speak to us. We need the word of God uh, to anoint us, to renew our minds. And we need the structure of the church, the people who teach, because they are God's government on earth and they are anointed and they're sent by Jesus. So we desperately need the anointing. Who agrees with that? We desperately need the anointing to lead us. And so he, he reassures us with the verse that I read last week, 1 John 2.20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. Yeah? Now, my question is, do we? Do we? Yeah. Verse 26 further down tells us, he says, I write these things to you because there are people who are trying to deceive you. So there are people trying to deceive the people of God. There will always be people that try and deceive the people of God. But then in verse 27 it says, as for you the anointing which you receive from him abides in you. So we have this reassurance from God and he, he abides in us and you have no need for anyone to teach you but as the anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, you abide in him. So this is the, the principle that we're looking at. We're looking at the fact that the Spirit of God teaches us. And so I want to continue on from that principle from last week. And so the title of my, my message today is The Anointing, An Invitation to Walk with the True Mind of Christ. You know, the very role of the church is that it's commissioned to feed and to transform the national narrative. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. So that is the very role and the commissioning and the job of the church. And it's amazing when you look back in church history, the birth of Christianity in just one or two generations went from being a little Jewish sect to actually becoming the majority or the major religion of the Roman Empire. That's how much it infiltrated and, and how much it spread its message. And it's interesting when you go back through the book of Acts, it says the word of God multiplied, the word of God multiplied, the word of God multiplied. It was the message, it was the truth that multiplied, that grew the church. And I've seen this power um, of a local gathering of believers to inform, influence and transform a nation. I've actually seen this principle in operation, not with a church, but when I was in Indonesia, just recently I was standing in the in the airport and 
because you've got to remember, I've been going to Indonesia since, well, for 40, 43 years. And so it's like a second home to me. I was a teenager there, I met Bram there, and I lived there for a few years. And because we go back almost every year, a few times a year, I'm very familiar, I speak fluent Indonesian, so I'm very familiar with the culture. And I remember my friends back in that time were exactly like me. You know, I didn't know if they were Muslim or if they were Christian, it didn't really matter, but we all wore miniskirts the same length, or not so length. Uh, we all wore bikinis, we all did all that sort of thing, but it's really amazing now to see the change in that nation. I was standing in the airport and I saw this beautiful mum holding her gorgeous little baby and both were adorned in the religious outfits that was being promoted from their local gathering of believers. And I saw, as I stood there, I realized in one generation, in one generation, Everyone has changed their clothing styles from babies right up to the elderly due to what is preached in every village mosque throughout this huge archipelago of Indonesia. Isn't that amazing? Just through just the power of local gatherings of believers. As in one generation, it just astounded me to realize that a lot of the women that are my age are probably wearing those outfits now, and yet back in the 70s, they were wearing the same miniskirts I was wearing. But it just shows you the power of a local community to be able to inform society, yeah? So it's a very important principle. Um, I've also noticed in America the power of the local church to inform and to influence the national narrative. And you've probably heard me say before, I have a bit of a fascination with American politics and it's because I can see how the political system or the political mindset seems to and appears to be framed by what has come through the church community. For even from its very inception as a nation, you hear a lot of them talking about what the founding fathers, both what they first wanted, what was in the, the, the constitution made by the founding fathers. And it's all to do with church principles and Christian principles. And standing back now, I can sort of see the ripening now of decades of church influence on the philosophies of this particular nation. And you can see it in, in a lot of nations, actually. You can see where there's been influence in a nation. But I'm talking particularly about America in this point of time. So my question is, what actually frames a collective mindset? What frames a collective mindset, a nation's collective mindset? Because people's thinking comes to the surface and forms the social norms, the societal norms. That is a collective mindset that actually begins to create and, and becomes one voice and a, and a larger and more resounding voice uh, comes to the surface and that sort of forms that societal norm. So that which informs from a grassroots level then filters through to the highest echelons of power. And then I notice that it's reflected in the legislation that governs nations. But it doesn't start with the legislation, it actually starts with what is informed at a grassroots level. So a collective mindset can actually shift the course of a nation. It can actually shift the entire governing structure of a nation. At the top of the institutionalized life of a nation, you see the manifestation of what has been taught and imparted way back at the very grassroots of society's collective thinking. So what you see today, 
at the highest echelons of power governing a nation, the thoughts and the, the principles that are causing lawmakers to pass their legislation has actually come from probably decades ago, possibly one, two, even three generations ago of the collective mindsets that was started at grassroots level. Does this make sense? And it filters up and when it's left unchallenged or undirected or unfiltered or not corrected, it can really go off track or it can really exalt a nation. The Bible says righteousness can exalt a nation. So therefore, when you look at that principle, and this is a principle, you can apply this principle to any nation. A nation does, doesn't suddenly, unless there's a coup, unless there's a war, and another nation takes over another government, a nation doesn't just suddenly morph into a whole different set of values. Is that correct? It's actually a representative or representation of what the nation as a whole believes or the majority, I should say. So therefore, when you look at that principle, what we preach is very influential. What we have to say as the church, as the body of Christ, is actually very influential because it informs a person's belief system and their worldview and eventually finds its way into policy making. So these are the sorts of things I think about. As I'm watching you know, stuff on, on, uh, on, on the internet, I'm watching all the news channels, I'm reading all sorts of um, articles, I begin to get a picture of how the church has been there and been a part of what has formed a particular nation. Now this is great. If we're preaching the right stuff, then this is great when it's all about valuing people as individuals. It's awesome. This is actually what the church should look like. That is how Christianity should work. However, it starts to be questionable when it involves stances that take the word of God and reformat it or politicize it to fit a particular agenda. So for instance, there are certain streams of Christianity in America, correctly or incorrectly. I'm not making a stand, I'm just giving you the facts here. Um, that preached and pushed a particular perspective on Israel, for instance, which not all the church worldwide holds to. It's, it's, there's split uh, responses and beliefs to do with this. Yet it informed the, the nation and caused the thinkly, thinking to be deeply entrenched decades ago in America, and actually now you see how it's influenced political policies regarding Israel at the exclusion of other nations. And it's actually changed the landscape of nations, Palestine being one of them. So, you know, you stand back and go, okay, all these things are happening, you know, things are shifting, nations are shifting, things are changing, and of course there are many different aspects to all of this, but my perspective is always, where is the church in this? Where is the voice of the body of the anointed one in this? Where is the, the collective mindset that should be coming through the people of God who represent the kingdom of God? And so you see that there is actually representation that has informed the thinking of people at a grassroots level that have then gone on to create legislation and be the lawmakers of the day that influence even the nation of Israel and, and Palestine. So what is right? And what is wrong? So we can see here, though, that what we preach and what we deliver from God is vital. And how we interpret biblical truth is absolutely crucial. And then, of course, there are beliefs that are completely based in error, completely obvious, total, obscene error. Things like white supremacy, apartheid, they originate from false biblical doctrines regarding the separation of races. This has come shamefully out of the church. 
Do you understand? The power that we have as pastors to preach to even, doesn't matter how small or how large. In Indonesia, it doesn't matter how small or how large the gathering of believers are. It has managed in one generation to transform the look of a nation. Okay? So it doesn't matter how big or small our congregations are. It's how, what we are preaching and what perspective we are laying into the hearts of believers everywhere. So this is a really, really important job and a role that we as the people of God actually have not only as preachers and as leaders to govern and to teach, but even as you guys, as responsible, intelligent believers to assess and go, is this correct, what we are being told from the front? Am I assessing and judging correctly according to what the Word of God says? There's a huge responsibility because the church, whether we like it or not, influences people. Bodies of, of believing communities influence the tenor or the, the actual that's not the right word, the, um, the feel of a nation. They actually influence where a nation goes and on what eventually is the output of a nation, the mindset, the collective mindset of a nation. So it's really important that we understand this. Throughout history, we can see that what began as inspired by the Spirit ends up sometimes looking like how it uh, looks nothing, sorry, ends up looking nothing like how it started. Because when the church becomes institutionalized, it turns something which was originally inspired by the Spirit of God into something that is now dominated by mere human thinking and systems. And this is the danger that we always fall into. Yeah? Do we agree with this? It starts off as excitement and there's something with the Spirit of God and this is amazing. Let's do this. Let's, let's you know, let's create a nation, one under God. But then, of course, eventually... You know, we can have moves of God in our churches, in our, in our homes, in our, in our own personal lives, but eventually human thinking comes in and we, we like to put systems around it. And this is, in this case, this is when we start to weaponize our faith and weaponize our doctrine. That is why we need revival in the church. This is why we need it in the Word of God, not an institutionalized, legislated religion. It's not from the top down demanding holiness. No, it's got to be a move of God, believing the word of God in every single heart. You know, the Bible says, revive me, Psalm 119. How many times does it say, revive me, how? According to your word. Yeah? It doesn't say, revive me according to the latest conference or church service I can go to where the Holy Spirit is smashing everyone. Yeah? I mean, that's great, but that's a byproduct of being revived by the word of God. Okay, that will, that will happen anyway. But if that's all we're relying on, we are, we are missing out completely and we'll, we'll, we will walk away empty because it's only the Word of God that actually revives us. Wow. You know, in the, in the book of Acts, in chapter 2, when it says that the Spirit of God came and there was a baptism of fire and power, then, it's like I said before, the Word of God multiplied. The Word multiplied. People couldn't contain the truth that they were hearing. So we need to be spiritual people. We have to be spiritual people. We need like a burst of the Spirit of God to enforce what was initiated by the Spirit. So how, how do we know what is right? If we're talking about being mature people, operating from a place of having the mind of Christ, which we're going to look at, how do we know what is right? We desperately need the anointing to lead us and not be deceived. And that's why he says, you know, all of you know the truth. Because if we don't have the truth, without that, we drift. Yeah. 
And when I say we, I talk about the church as a body. We begin to drift, and we drift away from the very principles that should be guiding us and ultimately permeating society. And so, like I said before, what we see ultimately presented in a nation's government doesn't just suddenly happen. No, it's been informed by the foundational belief systems of past generations. And it filters to the top, and it directs legislation, which is formed by the current lawmakers of the day. So we see, and this is what I want to get home, I want to drive home the fact that ideas matter. Ideas matter. I have a book at home I bought called The Ideas That Conquered the World, and it kind of, the title uh, intrigued me, so I bought it. And it's basically power of ideas that emerged after the wars and revolutions of the last two centuries. And it's, it's pretty much about peace, democracy, and free markets. And these ideas, this is what the author says, while not practiced everywhere, they have for the first time in history no serious rivals. Now, this, this book's really thick. This whole book is just on that. Peace for the basis for relations between countries, democracy, a way to organize political life, and free markets as a vehicle for the creation of wealth. So this whole book is about just those ideas, which seems kind of simplistic, but when you step back and you think about it, Ideas are what drive society. We are our belief system. Everyone has a, a, an operating theology, whether they believe in God or they don't. We all have some form of theology, even if we don't know how to spell the word. We have uh, some reason or some frame of thinking for why we're here, what we're doing here, and how we want to operate in our lives. So ideas are actually very powerful. And so we see that. And so, you know, there are always ideas and catchphrases, both good and bad, that identify entire generations and eras because, because communities believed them, because they adhered to them, and they were then conquered by them. You, you just have to look back at just history in general, world history, and you can, you can map the different times where there were different ideas that were paramount in the thinking of humanity. You know, you can see with the, the era of the gladiators and all those sorts of things. Well, even in the time of Jesus, when they were crucifying people, there was not the big idea of, gee, we really love people and we value human beings. That was not a paramount idea. Peace was not a paramount idea. No, it was about conquering and dominion and control. And you will do exactly what I say. So you see that ideas, when they're simplified, are actually very powerful and very potent. All right, so we have to ask the question, where do people draw their inspiration from for their worldview? And this is what the drift, look like, drift looks like without the anointing giving us truth. Remember, this is all about we need the anointing to give us truth. See, we're in a serious situation. It's not just about the truth of you, how you live today, tomorrow, and next week. This is truth for how you raise up your families, how you impart to your friends and, and colleagues, how you vote, how everything that you do is, will be influenced by the truth that is within. And I'm talking about the truth that comes from the anointing within. So this is what the drift looks like without the anointing giving us truth. We can see ideas that have kind of been bubbling up in society filtering to the top. And I just want to really briefly mention this. I won't go into it too long because... Um, but it's just a fascinating article I read this week um, from the Washington Post, 
And it talks about two opposing politicians, one being Donald Trump, who obviously is a Republican, he's the president, and a woman called Mary Ann Williamson, who's a Democrat, and she's running for president. And she was just part of the Democratic um, debates that they just had. And this particular article, and it's interesting to see people in the world kind of noticing these things. This is, this is what really caught me. The title is, For Mary Ann Williamson and Donald Trump, a religion is all about themselves. And then the subtitle is, The conviction that you can shape the world with your mind is an American tradition. And that grabbed my thinking, because I thought, okay, because I know a little bit about these two. Remember, I've had a bit of a fascination with, with um, American politics. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. I'd actually heard her speak on a podcast earlier this year. And, and at first, uh, when I first began to listen, Brahma and I were like, is she a Christian? Because she talked a lot about Jesus and, and I, I, we weren't quite sure. And I began to look her up. And, and of course, Donald Trump professes Christianity quite boldly. But when I saw that particular title, it really grabbed my attention. And on the surface, these people have very different expressions, okay? So one throws insults, incites rage, and is called a bully. And the other one espouses the virtues of love and is, is a recognized New Age leader. Yet, this is what the article presents, that they both spring from a very similar foundational belief. And see, the whole principle of the, uh, of the American dream is whatever you think, you can become. Which is interesting, because that reminds me of a scripture that says, as a man thinks, so is he. And you see, so somewhere, as we begin to look, we, we can see that at the basis of this thinking that is filtered to the very top in these two candidates, one being the president, one running for president, is that somewhere back there, the church has been there. The church has influenced thinking. It's well known that Donald Trump's family pastor is Norman Peale. Uh, for about 50 years, he's led his church in New York, and he was the one who wrote the book, The Power of Positive Thinking. My dad used to talk to me about this book. I remember he and my grandpa used to read this book. And Trump actually attributes some of his business success to the adoption of, this, of the philosophy that is put forth in this book. And positive thinking, Peale argues, is, doesn't really need to be constrained by reality. It doesn't need to be constrained by reality. And then on the other hand, you have Marianne Williamson, who's a Jew, and, she, and yet she's mixed, she has this mixture of admiration for Jesus as a spiritual leader, and she's a New Age leader herself. And uh, the Washington Post, the article says that she is a self-help spiritualist and sometime advisor to Oprah Winfrey. She preaches a gospel of love and oneness. And oneness is something that I've been hearing a little bit about lately. It's basically, in other words, we experience oneness, we feel a connection with everything in existence on every level. In other words, we feel at one with all things, okay? Now, Marianne says that she loves Jesus, but he is only a son of God. In fact, if you read her articles, uh, she has actually reframed who Jesus is according to the word of God. She says that Jesus was a human being who while on earth completely self-actualized and fulfilled in all ways the potential glory that lies within us all. He's not the only face the Holy Spirit takes on. He is a face. This is what she says. She says that Jesus actualized the Christ mind. He was sent down by God as we all are. We are all extensions of the mind of God. So I want you to hear the twistedness and the subtlety 
of taking a seed of truth and twisting it, okay? And then she was asked the question, was Jesus the only son of God? And her reply was, hogwash. First of all, I believe we are all sons of God and it is our destiny to be as Jesus. He said, whoever does what he has been doing will do even greater things than these. The difference is he was a son of God. Notice she doesn't say the son of God. He was a son of God who fully remembered that he was, so it's all about what Jesus was able to do in his own strength, that he was a son of God, and he displayed that understanding. Second, there is only one soul. To say there is only one begotten son doesn't mean that someone else was it, and we're not. It means we're all it. There's only one of us here. Okay? Now, this is out there. This is coming to the surface in America. This is now up there in people who are running for the highest role in government in, in that nation. That didn't just start last week. That didn't just start this generation. This sort of thinking has been going on. And, and when you look into it all, and I won't go into it, it goes back probably a century or so to different thought processes and patterns and <coughs> philosophers and people that have come in and they've rejected the truth of the Bible and they've made up their own form of thinking. So according to this article, both Trump and Williamson believe the notions that we can transform our material circumstances through faith in our own personal willpower. Who's tried that lately? Didn't work, that's why we're all sitting here, right? Yep, been there, done that, tick, cross. And that ultimate reality can be found within ourselves. Who's found that lately? No, none of us either. That's why we're all here. All of us, all of this thinking is influenced by a belief that the human self is the closest thing that we have to a reflection of the divine. Wow. As if we already possess the mind of Christ and we just don't realize it yet. And it's falsely partaking of that divine nature that I read about at the beginning from that, from that verse. And the way I see it, this is all just based on idolatry of self. To believe this, we have to believe that there is already something inherently good in us when we are born. But even though we are people born in the image of God, every human being is born in the image of God, but we're fallen. We're fallen. And until we're born from above and born again and receive from the inside, we can't partake of that divine nature. So, we can be partakers of the divine nature of God, but not this way, not using our own will. Now, this is what's really sad. At ground zero of all of this, the belief system of the church was involved. But somewhere along the way, the truth has become muddied. This woman knows about Jesus. She's heard it from somewhere. That's come through the church. But deception has crept in somewhere along the line. It exposes the impotence, really, of the church. And even with, with Norman Peel, the pastor, he, he's influenced by past philosophies. If you go in and you research it, you see where he draws his inspiration from. And, and there's also another pastor called Robert Shuler, and I remember reading a book by Kevin Connor called The Kingdom Cult of Self. And he quotes the, the wrong theology behind exactly this kind of mindset that Robert Shuler had. And, um, you know, we have to be very careful. This is why we need the anointing within us to teach us the truth because it's too easy to go off track. Now, I'm not blaming these people. They're a result of a, of a collective narrative that has happened because the church probably has been impotent and hasn't done its job. 
And so we have to get back. The church was there somewhere at the start with the power to arrest wrong thinking and to influence for good, but in the end there was mixture. And so this kind of dangerous theology and dangerous philosophies lead people into deception. And this is the very thing that should have, should have been challenged by the church. It's interesting, the Washington Post calls it the self-centered religion. Isn't that amazing? Even the world's prophets can see that there's something not right about it. The self-centered religion shared by these two. And yet, in the midst of all of that, like I said before, Trump boldly declares that he's a Christian, and Williamson is actually calling for a moral and spiritual awakening in the United States. Now, that sounds amazing. So what is real, guys? What is real? How do we know what is real? Can we also see that this kind of thinking is permeating Australia? Yeah? It's everywhere. So you as believers need to know and understand what is real. And we need to know how to protect our minds, not just for our own journeys, but for the journeys of those that are following us, that are watching us. And we'll learn from you guys as you go on to be leaders for the, for the body of Christ. So there's a lot of stuff out there wanting to confuse our thinking, take away our belief system, and the only true spiritual awakening has to be by the Holy Spirit, and that will result in the true mind of Christ, which is amazing. That's what we're after, all right, the true mind of Christ. So I want to contrast all of what I just said with what the Bible says. What is the true mind of Christ? Well, bottom line is Jesus alone needs to inform our thinking. We don't need anyone else. We don't need anything else. We don't need to look inside. I don't need to go navel-gazing and looking for the truth. You know, inside me, um, I'd get bored out of my brains and find nothing in there anyway. Um, you know, I, I can't depend on my own willpower. For goodness sake, I can't even say no to chocolate. How am I ever going to change the things around me? Yeah, how am I ever going to change the world around me with my willpower if I can't even say no to chocolate, right? Anyone else on the same page as me? Thank you. Yes, I Hear that amen. Okay, so he alone needs to inform our thinking. There is nothing that can be found within ourselves that, that can be worthy of his use until we give everything to him. You realize this is kind of like, we're doing DMS every Sunday morning. Do you guys realize that? This is awesome. We're literally doing DMS on the anointing. That's how I'm approaching this. This is it's, it's so exciting for me. I love this. So there's, there's nothing that can be found in ourselves that can be worthy of his use until we give everything to him. We're going to lay everything down. There's no amount of faith in our own personal willpower will transform anything. Because remember, God doesn't anoint flesh. That's just our Adamic nature. We learned this in the weeks past. But it's trying to achieve something in our own strength without him. People want to partake of the divine nature. Like that promise sounds amazing, doesn't it? I want to partake of the divine nature of God. But they want to do it without going through the process of the death of the cross first. And you see, what happens is in new age thinking, they basically try to sidestep the cross. Yeah. Well, they don't try to, they actually do. They diminish the power of what Jesus did for us because they think that we are already divine. This is, what, this is where the spring, if you read the different articles, it says they reject the, 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 that, uh, that Jesus is the only way. In fact, I've got a quote here and I've got the website. It is opposed to the narrow-mindedness of Christianity that teaches Jesus Christ is the only way to eternal salvation. They teach that all you have to do is become self-aware, self-actualize the Christ consciousness, and that the quality of spirituality is experienced purely through personal introspection. Do you know how many people are suiciding because of personal introspection? 
Do you know how many people are devastated in their lives, feel completely hopeless because they don't, when they look inside, they see nothing but hopelessness and devastation. We need a savior. We cannot bypass the road of the cross. You can't do it. There's no other way. And DMS, this is what we do. It's all about the cross. That has to be the preeminent preaching series of the 21st century is the, the death of the cross of laying down everything we have. There is nothing that you and I can bring to the table in and of ourselves that is worthy of use. Nothing. We have to die. That's why we go down into the waters of baptism to bury that old sucker so that that crucified old man gets buried once and for all. I don't want him. I don't need him. I don't want his voice in my life. I want to rise up in newness of life and I want to walk in the power of who Jesus is. Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's what I need. I don't need to self-actualize. That's the scariest term I've ever heard. Goodness me. So, where does he start? He starts, first of all, he searches. He searches everywhere. He says, I'm looking for someone whose heart is completely mine. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support that person, those whose heart is completely his. And when he finds us, he says, okay, you need me? Who here needs him? You better put up your hands. This is the moment we all put up our hands. Do not sit there and self-actualize, please, okay? Or come and cast that actualization demon out of you. Yeah. yeah. So when he finds us, he says, okay, you need me? All right. Now, let me give you an anointing. Why? Because he anoints us. Remember, he puts it in us. Why? So that we're sealed for eternity. He grabs us and he seals us with his spirit. Then he puts it upon us. Why? So that we can demonstrate who he is with power. And then he says, it becomes us as he commissions us into the call of God to lead his church. And then at that point, when he engages us and we've already died and there's nothing left of ourselves and it's just the anointing within that's leading us, it's the anointing upon us that is God, that is using us to demonstrate who he is, then he says, all right, now I'm going to show you the gifts and callings upon your life. And that's when he engages with our unique gifts. Once they're completely surrendered to him. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, had an incredible sharp mind. Pharisee of Pharisees, Hebrew of, amongst Hebrews. You know, was very, very learned in every way. And yet he considered, he says, I consider it dumb. I consider it nothing. And he left it all. He said, I consider it nothing in comparison to Christ and him crucified. You know, the five sermons in the book of Acts were all about the, the crucifixion. The crucifixion, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, and the glorification of Jesus. That's all the early church preached because that's actually all that mattered. Because there was nothing in and of themselves. And then as they preached that, as they declared that, then as they became enslaved to God, which is exactly what happened to Paul, he laid everything down. He said, all that study I've done, all that knowledge that I have, all that information that I have, I consider it as nothing. I am now a slave to Christ. But then you watch what happened. You know what happened to him after that? The guy goes on and becomes a writer. The very things that he laid down and he died to, God resurrected and said, now let me anoint your mind. Let me anoint the gifting that I gave you. And he wrote 13 out of the 14, and possibly even 14, we don't know with the book of Hebrews, of the books of the New Testament. 
the very thing he laid down. He didn't come to Christ and go, oh, I've self-actualized, I realize I'm amazing, I've gone inside and I've looked within and I realize that whatever I think I can become. And he didn't say, now I'm gonna use all my gifting and I'm gonna show these Christians what to do. No, he tried that and killed a whole lot of them. Had an encounter with Jesus himself. Laid everything down and said, oh my gosh, he is the Lord of glory. Went for 14 years, separated, went away. God was dealing with his life, dealing with him, and he comes back. And the guy's giftings were used powerfully to write 13 out of the 14 books of the New Testament. The very thing he died to. See, this is how we operate. See, I don't blame these people at the highest echelons of power in America for spewing out what they're saying. The church is responsible. They were there at the beginning. They were there at the beginning. So, he will always anoint hungry, pure, captivated, enslaved, humble hearts. You know why? Because he's ready. He's looking for anyone, just like we've been learning, to bestow divine favor or appointment to a special place or function in the purpose of God. Does all this make sense? We've been looking at how he teaches us. And I want to I read this, this passage of scripture now, which shows us thinking that is completely bereft of anything that we can personally bring to the table. Let's open up our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 2. Don't you love the word of God? It's amazing. 1 Corinthians 2 Verse 9, we'll start from verse 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that, that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world. This is amazing. We've not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why? That we might understand the things that are freely given to us by God. And then we impart. See, this is how commissioning takes place. We bring nothing of ourselves to the table, but then we get an anointing within, we get an anointing upon us, we become an anointed gift to the body of Christ, and all of a sudden we're teaching things that we never knew anything about before we became Christians. But the Spirit of God is showing us because He's sharing, He's on the inside of us. The very Spirit of God Himself is now on the inside and He's teaching us, He's giving us insight into the, to the workings of God and into the heart of God and how God sees things. And so it says, and we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. See, this is why, guys, in churches, we need good leadership. We need spiritual leaders for a spiritual people. Verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. A classic example is, is my dad, who's passed away now almost, almost a year, this, this month actually. And, um, 
And when he was, I, I remember when Brahma and I became Christians and really born again and on fire for God, he had so many questions to God. He, he was troubled by a lot of things and couldn't understand why God would let this happen and why that happened and why this happened. Anyway, eventually the years went by and my dad and my mum actually gave their life to the Lord. A beautiful couple from another church led them to the Lord. And I remember talking to my dad afterwards. He goes, you know what? All those questions I had, it's like all of a sudden they've just gone. I don't have them anymore. Why? Because the Spirit of God who, who searches everything, even the depths of God, is making them known on the inside, even of my Father as a brand new believer. Do you see who we have access to? This is who we have access to. All right. So this, verse 15, the spiritual person um, judges or examines or understands all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. In other words, he is to, we, we can understand and examine things, but we are to be understood by no one. It's as if, so some of the commentaries say this, it's as if the, the, the spiritual man is an enigma to the natural man without the spirit. It can only be explained by the spirit of God. And in the Amplified Bible, it says, the, the spiritual man can read the meaning of everything, but no man can properly, no one can properly discern or appraise or get an insight into him because we've got the Spirit of God on the inside of us. And then it goes on to say this, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Wow. In other words, we get to see inside God's way of thinking. The Amplified says it this way, we hold the thoughts, the feelings, and the purposes of his heart. Why would we ever try to mess with that? Why would we want to do it any other way? Why would we want to bypass the cross, self-actualize, go inside, you know, meditate and look and be introspective and find the supposed Christ within when really he's done it all through Jesus? He's done. See, Jesus is the stumbling block. He is the stumbling block. So what is the mind of Christ? It means to understand how Christ thinks. This is what we have on the inside of us. Who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we, you and I, have received the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Wow. That's why, like in those first few weeks we talked about, that's why we can love him whom we have never seen. That's why we can know that we are his child, because his Spirit comes in and shares all that with us. We, we, we walk into the cocoon and the secret place of the mind of God. And we can understand the depths of God. That's how he leads his people. And it's not just for pastors and leaders. It's for all of us, guys. This is for all of us. Do we see how far we are from that as a body of believers? We've got people professing to be Christians but espousing all this rubbish that hasn't, it's remained unchallenged by the very people who govern the church. We have to get our thinking right. There's an invitation from the Spirit of God, from the anointing, to actually have the true mind of Christ. This is open for everyone. This is the true Christ within, not the New Age version. New Age says it's already there. Just, just self-actualize, imagine it, and you'll see it. 
But the Bible says, no, we have to die first to receive this one. We need to get out of the way so he can fully live. John 6.63, let me read that scripture again. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Profits nothing. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and they are life. So guys, come on, let's listen to him. I'm hungry to listen to him. Do you know, as I study this, I get so excited. I, I kept jumping up from the table last night and dancing around the room and going, and, and screaming and going, oh, bro, I can hardly contain myself. This is just too much. And then I come back to the study again and he's in the kitchen doing stuff and I'm preaching to him and he's preaching back to me and then I'm typing and then, you know, I'm up to page seven and it's just ridiculous how many notes I've got. And, and I'm, I'm like, God, I want to listen to you. I want you to speak to me. There's an anointing within. I've got Christ in me, the hope of glory. I've got him. I've got the mind of Christ. Speak to me, God. So I started all this by saying, what frames a nation's collective mindset? People's thinking that comes to the surface and forms societal norms. But why would I want my natural thinking anywhere near me when I can start all over, receive his spirit, that anointing within, and who will then teach me the deep things of God? These things God has revealed to us through the spirit. For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Woo, come on. I just want to take off right now. I feel like I could fly. Why would any of us want to live so far below this normal? You know, I don't blame Mary Ann Williamson for what she believes. I feel sorry for people who are desperately, at least they're searching. At least they're kind of searching. But come on, the church has to find her voice. But it starts with you and I as individuals. It can't just be the pastors and leaders. Well, Melbourne Life believes this. Oh, well, Brahm and I, they preach this, but what do you believe? Oh, I don't know. Go listen to their podcast. They'll tell you what I believe. No, that is not good enough. You have to be intelligent believers. You have to know the Word of God. Because it's only the Word of God growing in you that will actually produce a crop in you. You have to actively operate in it and study it and, and learn it and love it and, and, and do it and obey it. This is what grows us to be strong. This is where revival starts. We want the falling down. We want the presence of God. We want demons coming out. That's a byproduct of the power of the Word of God producing something in our hearts. I can tell you that now. I know that for a fact. So why would we want to live any we're beneath this normal. If you go back to verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 2, this is how it starts, that whole passage. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, and then we pick it up, where we started before, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So you see, Paul is presenting something here. He's presenting an argument. He's saying, we impart, to the mature, we impart mature things. Because 
This is who we actually are. But if you go on to verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, and this is where he starts to ask the question, but are we spiritual people? But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid word, food, but you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready. Now, I want to ask you, these people are believers. Did they already have an anointing within? Yes, they did. Yes, they did. They possibly already had the anointing upon them because obviously the Spirit of God had come in fire and we read in Acts in these particular churches that the Holy Spirit had visited the baptism of the Holy Spirit to these churches. And yet it says in verse 3, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Okay, so let's draw a line in the sand. Let's not be merely human. We can choose to be merely human, or we can choose to step over and be partakers of the divine nature. He invites us to walk in the true mind of Christ. Whew, that's it, I'm done. DMS is finished for today. We're gonna pray. We're gonna worship. And if anyone wants me to pray for them, we're gonna pray. But this is, what I want, uh, this is what I want us all to do. I want us to make a decision that we're gonna let go of our own thinking. Let's ask the Holy Spirit. Say, I wanna be taught by the Spirit, all right? Come on, this is serious stuff. This isn't touchy-feely church. You know, that kind of stuff comes and it goes. This is, this is something that is solid, that, that builds into our lives, line upon line, precept upon precept. He teaches us how to live. He teaches us how to have the correct worldview. When we're looking at nations, when we're looking at, at, at political systems, when we're looking at the needs around us, the Spirit of God teaches us. He takes the truth that we've heard. He takes the Word of God that we've been listening to, the anointed Word that we've been listening to. He takes the, the leadership instruction that we've been receiving and this firewall that is all around us leads us and continues to guide us in truth. So let's let go of our own thinking. Let's surrender. Let's surrender everything. Let's be like Paul and say, you know what? There's nothing of me that I can bring to the table. I'm going to surrender everything to you, all my gifts, my talents, my mind. Let's repent of unbelief. Yeah, let's let go of unbelief. Yeah? And let's open ourselves up to the Spirit and be desperate for Him. Who wants to do that? All right, let's stand. Let's stand. And the worship team. Oh, Jesus, we love you. We love you, Lord. Come on, let's just, let's just lift. We are kings and priests before God. Lift your hands to the Lord as a priest before God. Begin to worship Him. Just begin to tell Him how much you love Him. Just begin to ask Him to move in your heart right now with truth. That's it. Thank you, Lord. We declare your power. We declare your truth in our lives, Lord. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your glory that is, that is within us, Father, because of your Spirit residing within us, Lord. Okay, let's just sing this song.